My name is Patrick Ness, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. And there's Bibles back there, but if you want to turn to 1 Peter, we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter, verses 1 through 5. Starting with verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Morning. Let's pray. God, we bless you, we praise you. You are worthy today and every day of all glory and honor and praise. And uh, God, you have, uh, you knew that today we would be in this uh, section of scripture. It's uh, nothing um, I chose. God, I thank you that, uh, that this is where we're at here today. And I pray that it would bring great encouragement and instruction to to these uh, dear ones who you brought here today, that we be reminded of, of, the, of the church and um, your order for the church, and that you ultimately, God, you are our chief shepherd, and that uh, one day um, you will return to um, in glory to reveal your glory, so that we could be with you forever in glory. And so, God, I just pray that. Um, for our hearts this morning, God, I pray that you would um, use me, uh, a broken pot, God, and just as a conduit of your grace and your mercy, that um, that you would uh, bring instruction and um, hope uh, and encouragement to those that you brought here today. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray all these things in your wonderful name. And God's people say, Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all. We're, uh, we're finishing up 1 Peter. We've been in 1 Peter for um, maybe 13, 14 weeks. We've got next Sunday we're finishing up. As uh, Patrick just read, we, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5 in, in chapter 5. And uh, I titled the sermon, Shepherding God's Flock. Shepherding God's Flock. And uh, where the passage is going to uh, tell us um, what the shepherd's responsibility is. How, um, how the pastor, how the elder is to... Um, shepherd the flock, and as I was as I was thinking about it, it dawned on me this this morning in the first service actually that that God has placed uh, shepherds and elders in authority. That didn't dawn on me, but that I, I thought about that. But I thought about how, um, for some reason, um, I um, just kind of innately buck authority, um, and I don't like that about myself. And I've kind of been doing that all my life that I somehow I've got to um, that I. Whenever there's an authority that um, I just uh, I just bucket. I mean, yesterday 
as an example of that. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I want to want to give this to you because it's at some level, um, as you're going to see in this passage, um, as parts of this body, you are you you are submitting yourselves to me and to Chris and to Pat and John. And I already, you already know this. We're very imperfect. Um, that as God has placed authorities in our lives, we submit to those. But I was, we were at the lake. I've had I have an opportunity to have all three of my kids um, in our house last night with grandkids. Uh, um, their spouses, not grandkids' spouses, but my kids' spouses, um, their dogs, they were all in our house. We were at the lake last night, and, and we pulled up the, 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 the light blue, powder blue minivan that I was driving that, that really has been a test of my manhood lately. It's my wife's car. It's not mine. But I was driving it, and I pulled up to this no parking place next to the beach so we could unload stuff, and this Windsor policeman comes up and says, hey, sir, no parking there. I said, I'm not parking. I'm, unlo- I'm unloading. And I said, I've got grandkids coming. I've got like sand buckets here. I've got an easy up so they won't get skin cancer. And um, I just want to pull up here and unload. He says, sir, that's parking. You can't do that. And I just went, I mean, like out loud, I think. And so I drove around and um, thought about parking there after he left. (laughs) But then I thought, you know what? I'm in Windsor. Somebody will see me. Um, that's a great motivation for obedience, right? And then there was, a, there was an open boat slip, so I pulled in there. Didn't have any parking sign, and I loaded, and then I went like this, and, I didn't, and then I just went and parked. So I give you a confession that, that as you're going to see later, that um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And um, that's a hard thing to acknowledge that as a pastor or elder that... Uh, I have a hard time saying that because I know that I'm so imperfect. You know, I've been a pastor or elder since 2001 in this church. Um, half of that has been vocational. I've been paid for it. Another half has been um, bivocational. From 2001 to 2007, I was an elder here, um, but I, I, I provided for my family as a tent maker. I did other things. Then in 2008, um, the church um, started paying me, which is really crazy. Every day I, I pinch myself, oh, wow, I'm getting, I'm getting paid for this. This is, this is amazing. And um, I've had certain attitudes towards pastors, um, towards those that, that I went to church and submitted to, um, to fellow pastors that I'm called to submit to, and then um, even in my own role as a pastor. I've been let down and I've been hurt by pastors in churches. I have let down and hurt people in this church um, many times. There's been times when I have fulfilled my role as a pastor out of duty rather than out of eagerness. There's been times where I've seen myself as a hired hand to turn this church around rather than a shepherd who cares for the flock. And there's been times where I would demand certain behaviors rather than be an example. There's many times where I have um, failed in my role as a shepherd pastor because I'm, a, I'm a, not only a shepherd, but I'm a, I'm a sheep and I'm prone to wander, as the song, as the song said. You, I know you know this, but pastors have failed you. I know that pastors have hurt you at some level, and and I'm certain that there's people here that I have hurt and I have failed. And it's going to happen more and more in a growing church, actually. And we're a growing church, praise be to God. That there's that there's people coming. There's more and more people coming, which means that that there's there's four pastors here, and it's going to get harder and harder for us to shepherd this body unless we have a very um, clear strategy for it, if you will. 
You see, a church will not grow spiritually, and it can't grow in numbers if uh, if all the shepherding falls on the pastors. So let me kind of bring you into the context of 1 Peter. Peter's writing to Christians who have been scattered in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. This took place between 60 and 65 A.D. Um, at this time, when Peter was writing, there was not major persecution. There was not major persecution going on in the church. Um, but there were storm clouds on the horizon, perhaps like today. Right? There's not major persecution in America, is there, most Christians? But, but the storm clouds seem to be on the horizon, where, where persecution, or at least our, our freedoms are going to be nipped a little bit, if not flat-out persecution. At the time this was being written, Nero was the ruler, and it was a result of his persecution that both Peter and Paul were killed, were martyred. So Peter is addressing this letter to Christians who are experiencing everyday hardship. Um, is, is there anybody here that has been um, absolved or has not experienced hardship at any level at some point in their life? Jesus says, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he is addressing this letter to you and I who are experiencing everyday hardship as a result of living in a fallen world and with those who are causing our suffering. The thrust of Peter's letter could be described as hopeful, holy living in the midst of hardship. Hopeful, holy living in the midst of hardship. The thrust of his letter could be described, I just said that, today's text, text, chapter 5, the first four verses. Let's look at those. Peter's focus comes off of Christians. For, For four chapters, he has been writing to the church, to all Christians, Now we're going to see today that he he gets very specific and he addresses pastors who have been given the responsibility and authority to shepherd the church. With this said, there's something here for you. Whether you are a pastor, whether you know a pastor, whether you want to be a pastor, there's something here for you. There's great application for all of us. You see, God has given the church pastors. Pastors actually are a gift to the church, believe it or not. They're a gift to the church, and he's given pastors to the church to feed, to protect, and to care for the church. And I want to, this is a letter, I want to remind this is a letter. We've put chapters and verses on it, but this is a letter that should flow. And the last verse that Pastor Chris taught on last week was chapter 19 of verse, of chap, excuse me, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. And it says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, did you know that, that suffering is really God's plan A for the church? It's how, he, it's, how he, it's how he purifies his church. It's how he sanctifies us. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's word, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, that's all of us, entrust their souls, that's all of us, to a faithful creator, that's him all the time while we do good. You see, pastors are to teach and remind believers of the truth of who God is and the hope that they have in him because of that truth. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. The first part of verse 1, the first part of verse 2. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 
So or therefore, in other words, in light of verse 19, in light of the fact that that we are suffering according to God's word, that we can entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In light of that, Peter exhorts the church elders to shepherd the flock, to shepherd his church. Elders refers to church leaders, not necessarily people who are my age. It's people that God has put in place. The church leader's position or office is an elder, but the elder's responsibility or role is expressed in shepherding language. So the best imagery in describing the role of an elder is that of a shepherd who oversees the flock. And Peter begins his appeal to, uh, to shepherd the flock of God by, if, by three things, by, by saying three things. One is he says that he empathizes with the elders because he's an elder himself. Two, he establishes authority um, as an apostle. And three, he acknowledges that his ultimate hope is the same as theirs. So verse one, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He's not just speaking from a textbook. He didn't just learn this in seminary. He's saying, I'm speaking to you as elders, as an elder myself. He, he can empathize with their plight. He is an elder, and therefore he can empathize and give relevant exhortation to the spiritual leaders. And then he says, I exhort the elders among you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. What he's saying here is I have authority. I'm an apostle. I've seen Jesus die, and I've seen him risen. Not only can I relate with you, and I can empathize with you, empathize with you, excuse me, but I'm an apostle. And I have authority to say this. And number three, he says, I'm a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He acknowledges that his hope as an elder and an apostle and his identity is ultimately in the future glory that will be revealed in Christ's return. His hope and identity was not in obedient sheep or in his position as an elder or an apostle. So he he relates with them. He says, I'm an elder like you. I have an authority. I'm an apostle. And my hope is not in me being an apostle or an elder. My hope isn't in you doing what I say. My hope is in my creator in whom I too can entrust myself to. And before we go too far, um, I, want to, I want to talk about the difference between pastors and elders. Because as, as people come to this church, oftentimes I hear one of two things. One is, I've been looking for a church like this where there is a plurality of elder pastors. Or they'll come here and they'll go, I've never seen a church work like this before. I'm used to having a senior pastor and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of uh, minions underneath them. That's not what they say, that's my words. So before we, before we examine the elder's job description in verses two and three, I want to make a couple of observations between the difference between an elder and a pastor. And I want, to, I want to illustrate rather quickly that, that these roles, the roles of a pastor and an elder, are really the same. We see in verse 1 that Peter addresses these men as what? Elders. And then in verse 2, we see Peter's exhortation to the elders to what? Yes, to shepherd God's flock. And the title, Elder, stresses the church leader's office and responsibility to shepherd and oversee the flock. You see, in a lot of churches, that, that there's, there's the pastor who shepherds, and then there's the elders who handle the business of the church. 
It says right here that the elders are appointed to shepherd God's flock. And this particular passage is silent about the role and responsibility of a pastor. Or is it silent? Pastor is the most common word that we use in the church for, for church leader, right? Isn't that what we use, pastor? You don't go, you know, people don't introduce me as, as, their, as their elder as, or as their shepherd. or They say, this is, this is one of my pastors. So pastor is the most common word. However, the word pastor is mentioned one time in the entire New Testament. And it's only in the NIV, in the New Living Translation. That's in Ephesians 4. So therefore, we can surmise that there's no use for pastors, right? No, not so fast. The Greek word for pastor is poimen, and that word means shepherd. Shepherd and pastor are the same exact word, shepherd or herdsman. So, so to pastor someone, to pastor the church, is to poimen or shepherd the flock, in the same way, the elder's responsibility is also to poimain or shepherd the flock. Therefore, elder and pastor are the same office in the church. And I'm going to say this is um, probably too dogmatically. Because there are, there are great churches in northern Colorado. There are great churches all over the planet that see a different polity. They have a different way of organizing than we do at Crossway Chapel and this church here. But when you, when you get into the verses, when you look at this, you go, how do, how do the, it just doesn't seem right. The model of one pastor serving alongside an elder board or under some other type of congregational board, I don't see it as being biblical. In today's passage and another passage in Scripture, um, to add to this, they always address elders, plural. They don't address elder. Peter says here in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you. Not the elder, not the pastor, not the shepherd, but plurality. Men who are called to this office are to serve in plurality alongside other called men. In a healthy plurality, there will be men serving with equal authority. Indifferent giftedness. Operating in unity. And here at Windsor Community Church, as pastors, when we talk, we describe this plurality that we have as equally called, equal authority, serving in unity, but not uniformity. Okay, you see, you see Chris, John, Pat, and I have equal authority. I'm not the senior pastor here. I have a role that acts more in the way I, I might lead the team, but I have no more authority than the other guys. And in the same way, we don't operate in uniformity. Just because we have equal authority doesn't mean that we're going we're to split the, for, the, the pulpit in fourths or we're going to split the, the singing in fourths because that would not be a growth strategy. That means I'd have to be up there um, 25% of the time. There'd be two of you out here now because I can't sing. At WCC, you've got four pastor elders. It's an interchangeable term. And all of us shepherd and oversee God's flock. Not our flock. It's God's flock. Pat, John, Chris, and I. We've got varying biblical backgrounds. Um, one has gone to seminary. Two of us have, have grown up in uh, a crossway, have gone to a uh, 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 pastor's leadership institute. And one has no formal background, uh, background uh, biblical training. Um, a couple of us, Chris, are, are free, Chris and I are uh, freed up full time. 
to serve the church. Uh, Pat is freed up halftime, and John right now is tent maker. Um, he, but he has equal authority. Just because he's not a paid elder or paid pastor doesn't give him any less authority than Chris and Pat and I. You see, we each serve in unity with a common mission, a common vision, and a common strategy for accomplishing Christ's mission in this church. And in this, as a result of varying giftedness in different stages of life, we fulfill different roles at Shepherding WCC. It's, a, it's beautiful, actually. It's so great. I mean, I wouldn't want to be um, a senior pastor, actually. I love serving in plurality with Chris and with John and with Pat. Um, is it easy all the time? It's not always easy. These guys got to serve with me. It's like a marriage in some ways, right? Where, you, where, where, where you're equal, but you got different roles. And I want to just give you a shameless plug for um, our heart is, is that, um, that God would bring families to this church, people in this church, um, men specifically that aspire to the office of elder or overseer, pastor. It says in 1 Timothy that if you aspire to the office, it's a noble thing, it's a good thing. And our desire is to see our pastor board ex- expand, um, both for the edification and the shepherding of this church, and also as we want to continue to plant churches. We want to send out pastors. So we have something here called the PLI, Pastors Leadership Institute. We just graduated our first, um, over the years, Mountain View and Fort Collins has graduated over 70 men from this. We just graduated our first three in December, and we're starting up another class in October. It's a two to two and a half year um, class. It's a a commitment of of eight to 10 hours a week, and um, we focus as much on on, uh, on biblical understanding as we do on character. And one of the reasons that we value this model, it's not that we don't value seminary, it's that we really value this model because we want to observe men's lives. We don't want to just give them a bunch of truth and, and, and teach them on how to do a sermon. We want to observe their character. We want to make sure that first and foremost that they're loving their wives, that they're raising their kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So I throw this out here today as part of our strategy to raise pastors and to wonder if there's, if there's anybody here. Raise your hand. Don't do, don't do that. Um, is talk to me. Talk to Chris. Uh, talk to John. Talk to Pat. And we'll get you an application. Um, we've got two guys right now. Well, we have not advertised this. We've got two guys right now that um, want to be a part of it without advertising. We need three. But we won't take more than six. And so at some level, if you feel like you want to lead in more significant ways in the church, um, particularly after hearing this sermon today, um, talk to one of us and we'll get you an application. That was an unpaid spot. Let's look at verses 2 through 3. Um, in verses 2 to 3, Peter lays out his appeal to the church elders. He says, he says, shepherd the flock, this is his appeal, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. His exhortation is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, to watch over the flock. Shepherd the flock, pay careful attention to the flock, care for it. Whose flock? The flock of God. This church is not my church. It's not Chris's church or Pat's church or John's church. We're, we're simply under shepherds. We're stewards. We're here to shepherd God's flock as imperfectly as we do it. Uh, Paul says it in another way. In Acts 20, 28, 
Paul is exhorting the elders in Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God's flock, the church was purchased and paid for by the death of Jesus. The flock is God's. He owns it. His sheep are precious to him, and therefore the elders should shepherd the church with the mindset that the people are God's flock and that he loves them, and we need to love you as well. We don't own the church. We are simply stewards and shepherds. Now notice he says this, shepherd God's flock that is among you, among you. My job is not to shepherd the church down the street. I'm not going to shepherd believers at church at the ancient path or Timberline or, or Cornerstone Baptist or any other church. It's not that I don't love them. It's not that I don't appreciate them. They've got shepherds. They've got pastors. My job, and Chris's and, and Pat's and John's job, is to shepherd this church. This is very subtle, but it's huge. Um, my wife doesn't like this where it happens, but when people leave this church, uh, some people leave for good reasons, mostly for what I think are, are wrong reasons, quite frankly. Um, and, when, and some of you experience this, actually. Some of you are here because of this meeting. Um, when I find out you're leaving, I say, okay, let's have coffee. And, um, and oftentimes, I, I want to know why you're leaving. Because I, the way the Lord works typically is, is that he is calling you to something. Not, you're not running from something. And, and, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk you out of it if I think it's the wrong reason. And if, and if you leave um, anyways, good reasons, bad reasons, I'll say something like this. I love you. I appreciate you. I want to be reminded to pray for you. I value you. I'm so glad you've been a part of this church. But our relationship's going to change. It's going to change. And it, it sounds like conditional. Like we need, i got to be a part of this church in order for us to be friends. Well, as a pastor, that's kind of the case. Because I, I, I've got a, I'm called to shepherd this body. Um, I've got all kinds of friends that are non-believers. Some of my best friends outside this church are, are unbelievers. Because I'm not called to shepherd them. They're not sheep yet. But I'm going to build a relationship with them. So, so just know that. I mean, we've actually had, um, I've had um, somebody say, hey, I've got, we've got these friends that are Christians. They actually come to our community group sometimes. Um, but they're not a part of this church. They don't want to be a part of any church. But their marriage is in shambles. Would you cancel it? And the answer is, I'm sorry. I would be, I would be uh, shirking my responsibility to shepherd the flock, God's flock that's among me, if I were to take them on. Invite them to be a part of this body, of this fold, so that we can love them and so that we can shepherd them. Peter now gives instructions on how the elders are to shepherd God's church, his flock. And in doing so, Peter provides both a positive and a negative answer. He provides three negative directives by, with the word not. Each are attacked, attached to a positive directive with the word but in verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's, there's three negative directives that can impair an elder's fruitfulness, fruitfulness. And I would call these pitfalls duty, greed, and power. Duty, greed, and power 
is are things that, that an elder should not embrace in any way. First is duty. Peter says, he says, shepherd the flock, not under compulsion. Or in other words, not because you must, but willingly. In other words, voluntarily, as God would have you. And you see, obedience to God's commands, we've talked about this a lot in the past year. Obedience to God's commands and living out our unique calling should be done joyfully and willingly, not because we must, not because it's our duty. The more we understand God's love for us, the more willing we are to submit to and obey to his good and perfect commands and, and his plan for our life. We've talked about Paul and Peter, we've seen them appeal. Think of Romans 12, 1, where, where Paul says, he says, he says, therefore, brethren, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Let that be your spiritual worship. He didn't say, I demand you. It's your duty to worship. It's your duty to be a living sacrifice. He says, I appeal to you by everything that Christ has done for you and, every, and everything that you are in Christ. I appeal to you. It's no different for pastors. Yes, a pastor elder is called and has a duty to shepherd the flock. But we are to shepherd and love God's flock willingly because of our calling and his love for us. Yes, it's a duty, but John Piper says it's the delight of duty. It's the delight of duty. 1 John 1.19, you know this. We love because he first loved us. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.13-15, where Paul has just been getting... He's getting hammered. He's, getting, he's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been thrown out of towns. And, and people are asking him, why do you do this? Why are you, why are you doing this for, for these people, for, for a man who has died? And he says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 13-15, For the love of Christ motivates me. The love of Christ controls or compels me. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you feel like you're caught in the duty of obedience, it's okay to, to do that duty from time to time, right? It's, it's better than sin. But you can't stay in that place. You can't stay in that place. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, put the distinction between love and duty this way. A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong thing. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and other people. It's like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own love, taste, habits can do the journey on their own. So he says, don't shepherd under compulsion. Don't do that at duty, but do it willingly. Next he says, don't shepherd for shameful gain. Don't be greedy. Pastors must not see their position as a job, but a calling. Man, I oftentimes see this as a job. I do. I see it oftentimes as a job. Um, Acts 20, 28, Paul says, as the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's not a job or a ladder to climb. It's a calling. And when the pastor sees his role simply as a hired hand, he becomes prone to try to keep his job rather than eagerly fulfilling his calling. And I don't want to do anything to shepherd this, this, this body in order for me to get a raise or to get a promotion or to be esteemed or to avoid being fired. 
I want to shepherd this body. And I know this goes for Chris and Pat as, as guys that are paid as well, that they want to do it because they're called, not because it's a job. John 10, 11, 14, Jesus gives a beautiful example of this. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You see, if a pastor sees himself as a hired hand and the heat gets turned up, he jets. But if he sees himself as a shepherd, he stays no matter what. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Then Jesus says, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And the third pitfall that Peter gives is he says, shepherd the God's flock, not domineering or lording over those in your charge, but as examples. This is, a, this is one that will keep a pastor in bed. Like what kind of example can we be? We're sheep that are trying to shepherd. We're prone to wander, just like you are. I mentioned this, Paul or Peter never demanded that others follow and submit to their leadership. They mostly appealed and were an example to follow. Remember back in Mark, the apostles were following Jesus for, for almost three years, and they didn't know, they didn't recognize that he was the Messiah. They knew he was a dude that, that they wanted to learn from, and, and he was a good teacher, and, and he, was, he was a good healer. But they didn't really recognize until, until this point in the Scripture that he was the Messiah. And then James and John, recognizing this, said that Jesus is the Messiah who came to, uh, to, uh, to bring peace, and he came to rule. Um, they started, their minds started clicking. They said this in Mark 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do something. Do, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. We want to rule. We want to rule. In verse 42, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're domineering. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, church leader. Great ones, uh, but whoever would be great among you, church leader, must be your servant. And whoever must first be a servant. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant, not your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even a son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So pastors are not to be domineering. And I know that, that's, that's, a, that's a character trait of mine. It's a, it's a bad character trait, actually, even in my parenting. I'm more prone to say, just do this, don't do that, rather than be an example of the flock. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, pastor, shepherd, will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the one who owns a flock. Pastors are simply his under-shepherds. In New Testament times, a, a perishable wreath, this, this, this crown, this perishable wreath, was set on the, on the head of the winner of the event, of the Olympics. 
but it was a wreath that would, would perish. It wouldn't last. It was a crown that wouldn't last. It was something the athlete earned. The crown or reward that awaits elders is the same one reserved for every believer. I don't believe that pastors get a special crown. That every believer will be crowned. And this crown or reward that every Christian receives is imperishable. It will never fade. It is being kept for you in heaven. It's nothing we earned, but what Christ earned for us. It's the glory that will one day be revealed when Jesus, the chief shepherd, returns to claim his own. Or we'll be in glory with him where there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no sickness, and we get to see him in his manifest glory, in his, in his presence. We'll be joy and peace forever. So Peter is encouraging elders with verse 4. He said that even though, he says, I am an elder like you. My hope is in our great inheritance like you. And that even though shepherding God's flock is a joyful calling, it's also, it's hard tending to sinful, wayward, suffering sheep. So Peter reminds pastors of their inheritance that awaits them. He encourages them to prevail to do the good work and run the race with patience and they too will receive the unfading crown of glory. A pastor's motivation to prevail is the same as every Christian's. And our motivation should not be from what we can gain, but our motivation should come from what we've already gained in Christ. That believer, you are possessor of every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You have an inheritance that's being kept for you in heaven. And while that inheritance is being kept for you in heaven, God is keeping you here so that one day you can receive that inheritance. Verse 5. First half of verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject or submit to your elders. Likewise, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. The elders of the church have been put over you to shepherd you. Most scholars believe that Peter is referring to young men here. A couple of the versions use specifically young men. And if you have ever been a young man or you have ever known young men, you know why he is addressing young men to submit to the elders. I've been a young man. When I was a young man, I just wanted to do my own thing. Apparently, I want to do my own thing at the lake the other day, too. But at some level, young men just want to do their own thing, and they don't submit as readily to the authorities of the church. And I'll say this, that this is not the case with all young men. But generally speaking, young men are prone to pride in wanting to be their own authority rather than submitting to another authority. We've called this, or I've called this, YMS, young man syndrome. I think most young men go through it. Second half of verse 5. Peter then then broadens his writing out. The, The pattern or the audience broadens out again, and he exhorts all believers to act humbly toward one another. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You go, why did he stick that verse in there? 
and we're going to talk more about humility next week as we finish up First Peter. But clothe yourselves in humility. Here's what I here's what I uh, I think Peter has in mind is that when when you would go from house to house in New Testament times, you, you had sandals on, and the roads were dirt; they were sandy. You'd come to a house, and the slave or the servant would wash your feet, and they'd put a towel around your waist. They would clothe themselves with humility. Jesus did that when he washed the disciples' feet. He clothed himself in humility. He put that, that towel around himself so that he would get down as a servant, as an illustration that he truly came to serve and not be served. So what Peter is telling us here, he's saying, believers, all of you with humility toward one another in the church, in the same flock, Be humble toward one another. You see, brothers and sisters, submission and humility are the marks of a maturing Christian. In verse 2, Peter exhorted the elders to shepherd the flock of God among you. And this goes both ways. As I already talked about, pastors are to shepherd God's flock that they are in the midst of and the local church that they've been trusted with. And the local churches that submit themselves to the elders. How might the sheep in the local body, submit themselves to their shepherd, to the shepherd feeding them, protecting them, caring for them. In our culture, people don't stay at churches long enough to be shepherded. In our culture, there is so much church hopping going on that instead of submitting ourselves to the God-given leaders of the local church, we get our primary feeding from podcasts, from books, from TV. And can I say this? I probably listen to more podcasts and read more books than anybody in here. So I'm not saying that that's bad. But I'm saying that if you are an occasional attender here or another church, and, and um, the, the man, the, 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 uh, the, the, the professional, the, the Hollywood pastor on the other end of that podcast, if he knows your life better than, than me, Chris, um, John, or Pat knows your life, I'd say you're not submitting yourselves to the church. And how do you know what's going on in somebody's life? There's been four pastors, count them, that are high-profile pastors that I have respected that have fallen to either immorality or alcoholism in the last six months. And I'll guarantee you that, that if you uh, follow something like the, like the Gospel Coalition like I do or, you, or Acts 29 or some of these other what I would call, call just solid organizations— that you have submitted yourself to the teaching of these men who have fallen. And I'm not saying their teaching is bad, but you're submitting yourselves to the authority of men you don't even know their character. Why would you learn from them? At least you got a guy, at least you got a guy up here that that you know has a hard time with policemen. I'm going through that, Patrick. And Brian. We got some amazing cops in here. I love these guys. Is there counseling at the jail for pastors like me? I don't know what you call it, 12-step program to obey and cops. Oh, Such a bonehead. You see, grace and blessings are given to the humble saint who submits him or herself to the local church's leadership and lives out humility towards one another. If you don't have a church family, church body, how do you ever get to exercise humility? 
I mean, it's, it's easy exercising humility when, when people don't rub you wrong. Right? Somebody, somebody bugs you, the pastor says something wrong, and you know, enough with him, I'm going to go try this place. Now, here's what I'm not saying. This is really hard. But I didn't pick this sermon out. We're teaching through 1 Peter. This is where we're at here today. Okay, I just want you to know that. That's one of the beauties of doing what we do. But I want to encourage you that whether you are on your way out from this church or you're coming to this church, make sure that, we're, that, that God is drawing you to something and that you're not running from something. Um, unless it's unbiblical that you're running from. Or, or maybe you're not able to use your gifts or maybe you've moved. There are good reasons to leave a church. And I submit to you that most people don't leave for the right reasons. Hebrews 13, 17, I'll close on this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. Can I say this? It's a great joy. And I know this, I can speak for Chris John, it's a joy, pastor, shepherding, out of imperfections. Um, so just consider this, is to think through your shepherds that they would be able to shepherd and pastor with continued joy, not with groaning. So the question should be, how can I get involved in the church community, serving and doing good? And making my pastor's job a joy. And I'm going to close on this practical note. Here at Windsor Community Church, we have a strategy. There's four of us. This church is growing by God's grace. If nothing else, it's growing by, by uh, home births. There's a lot of living going on here. We're grateful for that. But this church is growing. And we believe that, that God is, we're, we're not going to do things to artificially um, grow this place. We're just not going to do it. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to sing the gospel. We're going to love on people the best we can. Um, and as God brings people, we, we want to be prepared to receive them. We take the mission of making disciples very seriously. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, a, and, a, and a bigger building won't necessarily help us do that. If this place continues to grow, we're probably going to need another. We're not going to get a building to make this place grow. We're going to let God grow it. And we're, going to let, we're, going to have, we're going to put a strategy in place. We have a strategy. Let me just tell you real quick, and then I'll pray. We have a strategy. And some of you go, well, golly, I thought you said you were spiritual. Why don't you just trust the Holy Spirit? You got a strategy? Paul had a strategy. Paul uh, set out, and he knew exactly where he was going. But he, but he submitted himself to Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his ways. The Lord directs his steps. So we have a plan, we have a strategy, and that, and that strategy, our mission and our vision are subject to being changed because it aligns with God's word. But our strategy for accomplishing that, strategies can change based on the culture, based on who God's bringing you. Our, our strategy is simply this, that we, we um, create environments where people are encouraged, equipped, and empowered to know the risen God, to grow in their knowing of God, and to go and share with others. And our primary environment for doing this is community groups. That's our primary environment. If you want to grow, um, ultimately in this church, you're going to be a part of a community group. Is a place, a place to do it. Some of you can't be in a community group. I understand that. You got you got certain circumstances. 
We're still going to love you. We're going to shepherd you. We're going we're gonna to disciple you. We're going to love you, care for you, the whole bit. But that's our primary environment for growth. With that said, we've got 12 community groups. We need 20 today. We need 20 today. We trust the Lord with that. We're not going to manufacture it. But, but men, alongside your ladies, if you're being called to lead a community group, talk to one of us as pastors. And we want to continue to multiply community groups so that, so that as pastors, we're raising up under shepherds. We're not absolving our responsibility as shepherds, but, we're, but our strategy is, is so that God can grow this church. It's like an aquarium, right? You've got an aquarium and you've got a certain size aquarium. The, the fish are only going to get so big. Same thing here. It's that if we don't continue to, to broaden our, our base of disciples, community group leaders, um, this church um, is going to be stagnant. It's spiritual growth for sure. And maybe in, in, in ultimate growth. So we love you. I love you. It's great to be one of your pastors. Let me pray. God, we bless you. You are good. You are loving. And you are on your throne. And God, we, uh, we can thank you for hardship in our life because we know that that's your plan for, for sanctifying us, for purifying your church. And we know that we can entrust ourselves to you, our creator and our savior, because you are good and loving and you're sovereign. And I pray, God, that this church, this local expression of your greater church, God, that we would be ones who, um, that we see our ministry to one another is to remind one another of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved us. And that we've been adopted into your forever family. And that the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us the strength and comfort that we need to, to press forward in this life. And God, I do pray for uh, future pastors in this church. God, we're, uh, I'm not going to be a pastor here forever. Whether you remove me for some reason or, or just take me home. Same with Chris and Pat and John. We want to raise up young leaders. God, I know that's your heart. We have it all over Scripture. So God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that any men that you might be prompted to, uh, to uh, maybe they're asking the question, um, what does he mean to aspire to the opposite of God, I pray that they just have the courage to, to talk about it. We're grateful. Thank you for your loving kindness in our life. Thank you that you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us, that you are a good shepherd who shepherds us not only when we're good, but you shepherd us even when we wander. And God's people said,